This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's paths with an S. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm Jackie P. I'm John T. Today on our show, we have a colleague and a guest on our show, and her name is Hope Ray. And what, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, so Hope has been, uh, Hope and I actually completed our uh, sex addiction therapist training about the same time. So that's how I got to know Hope. And um, Hope specializes in partner work. Uh, You're in Detroit, is that right, Hope? Correct. Yeah, so Hope, does the uh remind me the name <laughs> i should have written this down remind me the uh, hope and freedom is that the name of the intensives that you do yep i i do four different kinds and the hope and freedom intensive is one of them oh cool great um so we have hope on today to talk about the process of disclosure the big d word that if you are in any kind of sex addiction recovery you've heard it mm-hmm. Yeah, we were saying a little bit before the show started that it's become somewhat of a buzzword, um, and yet I think it's really important to understand and uh, and approach it in the right way, which is with somebody who really has had some training and really has an understanding of the big picture of what's being accomplished in a disclosure. Yeah. So, Hope, if you could start, just kind of tell us a little bit about what disclosure is and why it's a part of recovery. Absolutely. Well, John and Jackie, thanks for having me on. And also, happy 100 episodes to you guys. Congratulations. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. You have really created such an important resource for people, and I appreciate the personal tone you use. And so it's a joy to be with you today. And talking about disclosure is something I know we're all passionate about. And uh, folks who are in recovery are definitely hearing this word. If they aren't familiar with it, they're starting to look into it a lot of times. Disclosure is really important uh, for a relationship. It's, disclo- it's important for both individuals in the relationship. And uh, essentially, what it is, is getting out all the secrets. So I like to look at it like a house that's been, you know, badly wounded by a betrayal, or essentially there's been a big fire and, and the house is kind of crumbling. What we need to do is kind of sweep out all the rubble and build a new threshold or a new platform for trust to be rebuilt. And that's kind of how I see disclosure. It's, it's a trust intervention, essentially. I think it's important for partners to have disclosure because it gives him or her the whole story. And it's important for the person disclosing, too, because it gives him or her the opportunity to really clear out the secrets. And if we're dealing with addiction, you know, we know there are three things that really must be consistent for an addict to maintain a healthy recovery. Those three things are having a sufficient structure to their addiction recovery. The second would be a really adequate surrender and an understanding of the day-by-day process of recovery. And that third piece is no more maintained secrets. And so disclosure really offers an opportunity for someone struggling in addiction to, to accomplish that third leg of the stool for their recovery. Yeah. It it sounds kind of like once the disclosure process is completed, um, now we have kind of a 
fresh slate maybe, or we're turning a new page going forward. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Okay. Yeah. And I, you're, you're bringing up a really important point, I think, um, for, for some folks who may be starting in recovery and kind of getting used to that rigorous honesty piece and that no stone left unturned piece, um, disclosure can be thrown around as a bit of a hot potato in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've right. seen spouses sort of like, you need to do disclosure so you can learn how to be honest. And I've seen addicts say like, I don't really need this, but I know that my spouse needs this. And I really like how you're talking about the relational need for disclosure to happen. Yeah, I agree with you guys. You know, disclosure isn't just about the person disclosing and it's not just for the partner. It's a combo deal for both of them and for their relationship, which is really that that entity between them. What we know is that, you know, good solid recovery isn't enough to rebuild a marriage or to rebuild a relationship that's been badly wounded by betrayal. Mm-hmm. And so the disclosure intervention allows for uh, an honesty overturn to learn the habit of honesty after years of keeping secrets or, or lying. And it allows for a couple to, to start fresh uh, with, you know, both people being on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, I think of disclosure as for a lot of couples, it's the first opportunity that the betrayed partner has to actually opt into the relationship and to uh, fully decide warts and all if this is something they want to be a part of. And I think it's something for the addict in recovery that kind of removes the asterisk by I'm accepted and loved Mm -hmm. um, because there's always that. But if you really knew, and I think this gives both parties a chance to, to have that like we know everything. And if we're choosing each other, it's really choosing each other. That's a a beautiful way to put it. It takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? For both parties. I mean, for the partner to sit there and face the disclosure of very painful secrets. Uh, It also offers him or her a reality or a validation to the reality that, that, you know, was going on in the relationship over the years uh, but it takes courage for the person disclosing too, because it's kind of their final surrender of, all right, you know, um, I could potentially lose this person due mm-hmm. to them knowing everything. And it takes a, a great amount of trust for that person to share those secrets and hope for the best. But at the end of the day, they don't disclose to keep their marriage. Although what we find is that it ends up working out to be uh, such an important step in a marriage rebuilding or any relationship rebuilding. Uh, but they're, you know, the person who is disclosing gets to really surrender to the idea that they don't any longer have control over keeping um, things from their partner. They're choosing honesty from that day forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm imagining one of our listeners who may be really new to recovery and um, maybe is the is the addict in recovery and they're thinking about what you're saying about, you know, complete honesty and no secrets going forward and they're feeling really overwhelmed. So could you talk a little bit about appropriate timing for disclosure for both the addict and the spouse? Yeah, well, it's different for each couple, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, my belief is that the person disclosing does not have to be in a perfect recovery to do a disclosure. I work with men and women at different ends of the continuum of recovery, Mm -hmm. really, uh, it's because it's about honesty. It's not a disclosure. Isn't about the insights the addict is generating in recovery. 
It's more about providing the timeline of their sexual or addictive behavior for mm-hmm. themselves, for their partner. It's a really important exercise in recovery uh, for, for the addict, but it's also um, about attending to the relationship. So often, uh, folks who are in recovery, those relationships struggle to feel like their marriage or their relationship is being attended to. Mm-hmm. We often have these very individualized tracks, right? The partner mm-hmm. is, is receiving support for the trauma he or she's experienced. And then the addict is, of course, you know, getting their ducks in a row, trying to not only establish sobriety, but then, you know, lead a new lifestyle, move into a sense of recovery. And so uh, what I found is that I'm able to work with men and women to disclose even if they haven't solidified all the the groundbreaking insights about why and how they ended up doing the things they did, Uh, because it's really about honesty. And I believe that people are capable of being honest uh, without lots and lots of training, without lots and lots of uh, recovery time, without lots and lots of therapy. I think it's an innate possibility for everyone. And so, again, you know, not everyone is a good candidate for a disclosure because there are some folks who are doing it just to check off a box and, you know, Mm -hmm. they're not intending to give up some of the secrets. They want to take some of that to the grave and they're going to have an unsuccessful time, especially if it's being followed up by a polygraph. Uh, But the good candidates are the ones who are willing to say, you know, the gig is up. And uh, yes, I'm serious about my recovery, but I'm also serious about my partner's pain. And I know I need to attend to my partner. So one of the things that we focus on in our disclosure intensives is helping the person disclosing to have the tools they need to help their partner heal. And, uh, and you know, a lot of these guys, uh, I say guys, but women also are in position to do disclosures. But uh, if in general working with men who are disclosing sexual secrets, a lot of times they are trying to help their partners, but they feel the things they're doing are not working. And they're, mm-hmm. they're continually frustrated trying to help their partners see, I'm in a good recovery, like I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you trust me? Or why, did, why are you asking me all these questions? Or why are you still calling me uh, those names? Or, and, and I think it's important that we can help them learn some tools uh, to, to facilitate uh, their partner's healing. And, and that's where relationships can really be rebuilt after disclosure. Yeah, I find too that often for the partner, it's hard for them to fully um, trust the addict's recovery or to really fully engage again in the relationship when they don't really know what's happened. Mm-hmm. And that, so they have that right. sense of, I'm not really sure there could be more to this and, and so there is kind of a pause, I find, until after disclosure, when things have been laid out on the table and we've discussed it in hopefully some mature guided ways, right? And now everybody really has a choice because they, they're informed and they're aware. That's when you can make a choice about what you're going to do with the relationship. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's not enough for a partner just to know the whole story, because what that does is that brings him or her up to speed with what's happened. And like you both are saying, they get a chance to really survey their new reality and, and figure out if what it is that they're dealing with. They have a clear picture for the first time of, of how bad things may have really been. But, you know, it's important for the partner to be able to verify at various checkpoints in the future that there's there's a clean bill of health for the addict. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
the, the, the idea of following up on disclosure is really important so that somebody can continue with the polygraph regimen if they're choosing to do, uh, to incorporate the polygraph into their recovery and into their uh, disclosure intervention. Uh, it's important that they can do that throughout, you know, uh, the relationship as it continues to rebuild. And so that's something that we offer to couples who go through our program as well, because, you know, a disclosure just essentially gets gets that threshold cleared out, mm-hmm. but it doesn't actually fill up the trust bucket, right? Mm-hmm. It just right. starts a fresh threshold, uh, and now we have the rebuilding to do. And that's a difficult process for so many couples. I have another uh, intensive that I run for couples who are in a more advanced state of recovery. And these are the folks that, you know, have We've been through some of the big interventions like disclosure and other things, and now they're they're feeling a little stuck. Mm-hmm. And that stuck place, I find, really happens for you know kind of one of three reasons. The first is that th- there's a problem with empathy in the relationship, or there's difficulty rebuilding trust, or another another possibility is that intimacy still needs. Um, needs some support and growth. And that's not just physical intimacy, but that would be the emotional connection between the couple. So a lot of folks in the more advanced state of recovery, you know, they need support there as well as they're rebuilding their mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I, I really like, as you're talking about um, kind of the, the minimum threshold we need to be at for disclosure to happen and be effective, because I think there's so much uh, sex addiction recovery is a very, um, it's a very important thing for someone who's undertaking it. And I think that that can open the door for this perfectionistic view of how it has to be and how it has to go. And I think looking at um, there's really doable chunks here, um, doable meaning they're possible, not meaning they're easy. Um, but I think chunking it up and, and saying, you know, disclosure gets the honesty piece in place and the, um, the check-ins after that help us to keep the honesty established in a way that the partner can, can trust um, as, as we continue rebuilding this relationship that can hold more trust. Um, And I I think that's important for our listeners to understand is that disclosure is not it. I've never seen it be the last piece of work for couples. It's like that inaugural piece um, Mm -hmm. for couples. It really opens the door so that we can do some of the harder work. Yeah, agreed. Inaugural piece is a good way to put it. And that's part of why I've transitioned to doing a disclosure over the course of a three-day intensive, because what what we're offering then to, to the person disclosing is a three-day in vivo experience for really retraining the self around honesty. Uh, you know, once once that person um, has fully gotten every last secret out about their behavior. And as you guys know, you know, we're not always talking about just sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. There's oftentimes these ancillary, other addictive or compulsive components to their behavior, gambling or workaholism or uh, drug use or other things that, you know, involve secrets. So the disclosure needs to cover the gamut of all of that. And when it does, um, and they've gotten all their secrets out, now what we're doing is we're taking a look at the, the loss of credibility that person has with their partner and how they need to uh, practice honesty going forward. There's a lot of tools that, that we offer folks uh, to be able to 
uh, maintain that sense of rigorous honesty. And I, I was just talking yesterday, actually, with a couple who finished their three-day intensive, and we were discussing how rigorous honesty could sometimes be called ridiculous honesty. And here's what I mean by that. I, I said to him, you know, you want to be so tediously honest over the course of this next year or however long you choose, because the more tedious you are with it, the better you're teaching yourself to remain honest. And so it can be so silly and ridiculous as this. And I, here's the example I gave this man. I said, let's say you get home, you unload the dishes, and then you take the dog for a walk. And then your wife comes home and she goes, oh, you did the dishes. And you say, yeah, I took the dog out and then I did the dishes. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, not to sound silly, but I actually unloaded the dishes and then I took the dog for a walk, just being honest, right? Yeah, right. So. So it can feel almost ridiculous, but that is when you know you've really attuned to the spirit of honesty versus just the letter of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, it's really a fun exercise. You know, a lot of men and women who go through a disclosure discuss how free they feel. Mm -hmm. uh, they feel like they have a fresh start. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, you, you get to really maximize that freedom. Uh, it, it's your choice how honest you're going to be going forward. And to set up accountability for yourself is such a good thing you can do for your relationship. Ongoing polygraphs and different things like that are really helpful to not only um, your partner knowing that they can verify you've had a clean bill of health over the last X amount of months, but it's helpful for the, for the addict or the person disclosing because they get to say, hey, I know I've been doing an honest, solid recovery and I know I've also lost some credibility with my spouse, so, you know, my spouse doesn't always believe my words, but I get to take that polygraph and, and you know, that will verify what I've been telling my wife this whole time. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of fun sometimes as these folks are uncovering a new honesty policy, how they get to, you know, participate in, in demonstrating accountability around that. I really love seeing that process unfold for folks because mm -hmm. it's so refreshing to them. And, uh, and it just allows them to feel free uh, as individuals, but in their relationship, it allows them to feel like they are really contributing to, uh, to the regrowth of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have had addicts who go through the disclosure process and they literally will say kind of what you just expressed, that they didn't ever know the weight that they were carrying by living in secrecy until they really... Yeah came completely and got, you know, ridiculously honest. And then they're like, wow, this is a whole different way of feeling in my relationships. And I, I think also it's one of those that can be difficult to understand, but the level of intimacy really is dependent upon the level of honesty and openness mm -hmm. in the relationship. Right, right. Do you guys ever find that uh, sometimes the partner him or herself has some secrets to disclose? Mm. Oh yeah, I, I would say in most cases, and it's not like it's a, it's not a straight comparison, but I, I really think that this is a cultural change that needs to happen in the coupleship. Because mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think in many cases, both have contributed to um, the, the unacceptable price we pay for honesty. I know a lot of the addicts that I work with have a short fuse. They're not empathetic and that's something they have to work on too. And their, their partner's not going to come to them with, this is what I need you to know, or this is what happened. And, and I think it's a real reorientation for both members of the relationship. Yes. 
And, you know, sometimes the secrets partners have aren't infidelity related. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes that is the case. And when that is the case, we have to allow them their own opportunity for, uh, you know, a coming clean of, of those behaviors, mm -hmm. especially if they were in retaliation to the betrayal mm -hmm. they were experiencing. But a lot of times the secrets are more benign, but they still need to be talked about. You know, sometimes yeah. partners will um, have access to accounts and things and they aren't telling their partner about it because they see it as some form of safety to be able to check into these emails and these accounts. And while I completely understand that, and I actually advocate that account passwords and things be shared for partners, especially in the interim or the beginning of recovery mm -hmm. and trust rebuilding, uh, I think sometimes um, partners don't want to give up those, those cards. They want to hold that close to their chest. And you know, another example would be reading his materials or reading his workbooks or his journal. You know, those are things I think partners do want to be honest about. After all, they're asking for a, for a you know, ridiculous level of honesty uh, from their partner. It's, it's important that that's reciprocated and that mm -hmm. there is honesty throughout the whole relationship. Mm -hmm. So I agree with you that, um, that sometimes we, we have to kind of focus on the other side and, and allow the partner to express maybe some unspoken things, whether they're actual behaviors that have taken place or a lot of times even feelings, mm -hmm. uh, concerns, worries, questions that they are not uh, vocalizing. Another thing that I think is important in disclosure is that partners have the opportunity to ask all those questions, questions specific to the acting out, questions specific to their, their hunches they had over the years, those things need to be answered and attended to because uh, if, if the partner can't ask those things, then they, they still have this ongoing sense of disclosure, right? Mm -hmm. We want that stuff to be talked about at disclosure so it can be covered by the polygraph and there can be just this sense of, I know the, the whole story. Yeah. I have a clear kind of illustration of what took, what took place over what time frame. And so writing a disclosure is a really tedious process. We encourage guys uh, with the instructions we give to, to complete their disclosure. We instruct them to spend hours doing this mm -hmm. and to meticulously go over, uh, you know, their entire lifespan of, of behaviors that uh, included addictive or compulsive or infidelity types of activity. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in addition, other secrets, like we mentioned earlier, if there was a gambling problem or if there's secret credit cards or a stash of money somewhere, or if, um, if you know, there's a smoking habit that, that you know, spouse is mm -hmm. not aware of, those types of things need to be included in the disclosure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think when people start to hear about disclosure and they start to learn about it, I, I think many people catch the import importance of it and can feel really committed to it. And um, I'll just in, in um, full honesty here, I, I'm not of the opinion that disclosure should be something that happens outside of a therapeutic, therapeutically supported process because there are so many moving pieces um, and there can be such a tendency as we're, you know, we have this ideal of rigorous or, or ridiculous honesty. There can be a tendency to shortcut there because it's painful and I think the therapeutic uh, holding of that helps to hold the accountability and hold the ideal for what this is. Um, but I, 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 most of the people I see now um, 
when I, when I get a new client, they come in and they know what disclosure is. And most of them have said, Oh yeah, I've, I've completed a disclosure. Mm -hmm. And when I ask, uh, how did that go? Well, I sat my spouse down one night and I told them everything. Um, could you talk hope a little bit about some of the pitfalls you see or some of the harmful ways, uh, to approach disclosure? Oh, I like that question so much. It is a big problem uh, for couples, and it's usually got good intentions behind it. The idea yeah. is, I need to get honest, so I'm going to get honest. I'm going to do it tonight. We're going to sit on the bed. I'm going to just get the story out there. Why is that a problem? Well, it's not a problem because someone's ready and willing to be honest, but it's a problem because we can't uh, verify that the person got the whole story. Mm -hmm. And what I will say is that week after week, it's my experience in my office that more comes out. And uh, the truth is, when you facilitate this process with, with trained professionals, what you're allotting yourself is the opportunity to really be thorough. That minutia is so important to cover mm -hmm. in a disclosure because you can't you can't say, well, you know, on January 1st, when we sat on the bed and we got everything, uh, but then, you know, later on, he kind of disclosed a little extra. And then when I asked a few questions, he remembered this and that. You can't really say you've had a concrete, mm -hmm. uh, you know, intervention around the truth. And so when you're working with professionals who are trained in this area, uh, you get a different process. It's held differently. More things are accounted for. And, and the two individuals are free to not have to facilitate that themselves. Mm -hmm. They're free to relax into a process that's set before them that really um, accounts for the needs of the partner, accounts for the needs of the relationship, and accounts for the needs of the person disclosing. When I say accounts for the needs, I mean, you know, allows, uh, allows people to, to really understand what and how and how and why we're disclosing all this information. Mm -hmm. There really is a very serious clinical process here. And I know you, you both and me, uh, plus a lot of our other colleagues have been trained in this. I have some additional training with disclosure and the use of polygraphs that has helped me to really refine the way I facilitate this process for folks because it is, it is definitely uh, something that requires some expertise. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with people's relationships here. You know, mm -hmm. these are folks who have a history and a routine together. They have families. Oftentimes they have businesses together. There's so much to lose. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's okay to gamble uh, with, you know, trying to put them through a process that may or may not work. It has to be very sound and very structured. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, too, sometimes what goes wrong in those at-home disclosures is also that the partner isn't really neurologically prepared for the information that's coming. Mm -hmm. um, could you talk mm -hmm. maybe a little bit, Hope, about how you, in your weekend or three-day intensives, how you prepare the partner? That's a great question. Well, you know, I believe that partners can handle the truth, otherwise they wouldn't be seeking that intervention. Mm -hmm. uh, I also believe that uh, they want the truth, mm -hmm. otherwise they wouldn't be seeking that intervention. What always happens is that kind of staggered or trickled disclosure. And while a lot of times it's not intentional and other times it's very intentional on behalf of the addict to trickle out information, uh, the partner gets re-traumatized over and over. And if, if a partner doesn't have support during the disclosure process, um, it can really 
it can really take a fragile relationship and, you know, kind of break the last straw for, for that particular mm-hmm. relationship. I think it's really important to prepare partners by helping them understand uh, they have the opportunity to ask any and all questions. They really need to be able to kind of get their bearings around the story. And, you know, I, I permit partners to ask any questions they really want to. Now, some some partners will say to me, you know, maybe I don't want to know that, or is this question going to be too detailed for me to ask? And I will share with them that they're smart. If they're asking, you know, tell me the name of that hotel, uh, that may or may not be something they want to suffer with for the rest of, you know, their existence mm-hmm. in that particular town, because it'll become a trigger for them. And that might mm-hmm. be unnecessary information. So, you know, partners usually are pretty wise with, with what they need to know. And, uh, and the truth is, if, if a person is offering a concrete, very thorough, full disclosure, uh, a lot of times those, those insignificant details aren't so necessary for partners because what they're really wanting to know is, do I have the whole story? Is there other stuff out there I don't know about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think it's important for partners to know if they've ever, ever interacted with an addict's previous sexual partners. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that's when names are important because uh, if one of these people is a neighbor, a family member, or, you know, a coworker, uh, you know, this stuff is important for a partner to know because the pain of that is, is so deep for a partner and for them to, to not be able to understand uh, that they've interacted with some of these folks is, is not fair to them. Mm-hmm. So there are some details that are very, very important uh, to disclose. And then the other details are up to the partner, what he or she is willing to tolerate going forward as far as, you know, his or her own triggers. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I, I think um, I, I see a common power dynamic in, in couples who are at the point where, disclosure needs to happen. And it can be this, the, the spouse um, who has been betrayed may be used to, well, I'll, I'll take your word for it, or you're giving me what you can give me. And I think it's really some necessary empowerment to go over. Here's the realm of what you could know. Now let's look at what you need to know, mm-hmm. what you have a right to know um, versus what's going to help you. Um, because I think with a lot of uh, spouses who are in trauma response, they're not thinking in terms of um, where is this going to go in the future or what can this do for me? And that, again, is where I think some professional support really, really helps because um, you can. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Well, as you guys know, you know, most folks who are married to somebody with a sex addiction are not, uh, you know, uh, experts with sex addiction. In fact, it's a it's a terrible trauma to realize this is what's going on with their partner, and um, and so a lot of times they'll ask questions based off of the information they kind of already know, uh, but they don't necessarily have a clinical understanding of how sex addiction works. And so, what the opportunity we can offer in a in a clinical setting for disclosure is that you're working with an expert who can really help. Uh, vet out your spouse, the person who's disclosing, right? You get a chance to have an expert sit there with you and dive into the questions, uh, dive into other areas of addiction that the partner may not have even known were possible or were a part of that person's struggle. So that's another reason for full disclosure to be done in a clinical setting is because when you're working with an expert 
who sees this stuff day in and day out, it's it's hard to uh, to pass over areas that um, somebody who's who's struggling uh, as a partner might not have highlighted to them or might not be suspicious about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll give an example. Just recently, uh, working with a couple, um, she knew about some gambling behaviors. She knew about some of the sexual behaviors, but wasn't aware of uh, some of the pornography use, right? And um, and the type of pornography use was very significant because it highlighted a certain aspect of this person's arousal template that um, if we were to just say, yeah, he struggled with pornography and leave it at that, she wouldn't have the understanding of some of the fetishes and some of the difficulties he's uh, experiencing as he gets into recovery. And so it's important to to be able to have that support of an expert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Hope, how, how do couples find you? Um, how do couples contact you to uh, get support through disclosure through the work you're doing? Well, they can find me on my website, which is hoperaytherapy.com. And uh, I, ha- I offer four different kinds of intensives for, for folks in recovery. Can I share those with you quickly? Yeah, please. Absolutely. Thank you. The first one is what we've been talking about, which is a disclosure uh, intensive. And so that one is called the Hope and Freedom Intensive. And I've actually been trained uh, with a certain model around disclosure. So I'm not the only one in the United States who offers an intensive of that nature. If you're looking for someone near you, uh, you may want to check out the hopeandfreedom.com website. On there, you'll find a, a list of other certified hope and freedom practitioners. And there may be one in your area. Now, I run these intensives in the Metro Detroit area here in Michigan. Uh, but we have folks, I have colleagues uh, all over the United States doing that. So that's one option. The other three that I run are uh, personal to my own my own uh, brand. And so one of them I, I talked about is called Resilient Marriage. This is for those couples in a more advanced state of recovery who are just feeling stuck. And usually it's around an issue such as empathy, trust, or intimacy. And so what we do is we diagnose the issue, and then we dive in with creating a solvable uh, set of performables that will help this couple move forward and kind of get unstuck. And that three-day intensive, uh, again, I'm only working with the individual couple. It's not a group intensive. But another couple that I offer uh, are again, for recovery purposes. One is called the Complex Partner Trauma Intensive. And this three-day individual intensive is for partners who are uh, really, really uncovering the trauma of, of being betrayed over the years. And so they need a lot of support to really get a game plan for themselves. And we're not just talking about kind of a hokey self-care plan of, you know, taking Epsom salt baths and making Mm -hmm. sure they get a manicure and do yoga. We're talking, you know, what really needs to heal here? How do you identify that? What's the string attached all the way back from your childhood that that might also need some healing? And we get pretty deep. So that one is not for the faint of heart. That really requires someone who wants to dive deep and work hard and fast uh, and, and get to a new place in their healing. And then the fourth intensive that I offer is called RADIANT, and uh, it stands for Resiliency After Divorce. Uh, and the idea is igniting a new trajectory. And the radiant intensive is for women who have 
faced divorce or are facing divorce as a result of um, experiencing betrayal in their relationship and the recovery wasn't wasn't working and and so essentially they've chosen a divorce and in those situations i find that women really really have a difficult time with a few things one is feeling like they could ever really move on they feel very damaged and broken and they also need to to find a way to be able to trust themselves again uh and find a way to uh you know heal their hearts so that they could enjoy relationship in the future if they choose to do so. But the brokenness of betrayal, as we know, can really do someone in. And so I, I provide a lot of special care for the women in the radiant intensive to uh, to be able to find a new trajectory of healing and to essentially make meaning out of their experience so that they can live a life that feels full and not just healthy and whole, but really healed and potentially do something uh, as a result of the experience they went through. Mm. Yeah, those sound great. Are all of those three-day intensives? They are. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. And I'm listening to you talk about the other ones that you do and thinking, wow, we could do a podcast on each of those. Right. <laughs> we'll have to get those scheduled. And that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it yeah. would. <laughs> I would. Yeah, we'll, we'll enjoy have... that, guys. We'll have links to your website in the show notes so people can find you. And I just want to say thank you, Hope, for uh, spending your time and sharing your expertise with us. We really enjoyed this conversation today. Thanks, John and Jackie. So good to be with you. Yeah, thank you. At the end of this episode, remember that your story matters. Remember there is something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it's finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths, Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. And remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time, and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.